Hey, wonderfuls, welcome to episode 391 of the podcast with my guest author, Maureen Gu. I want to just give you a quick heads up that this was an episode that I recorded kind of thinking I maybe had another lady guest uh, left in the sort of timeline of how the weeks were shaking out. So this is like early pandemic times. So I want you to enjoy not only the delightfulness that is Maureen, but also enjoy the little time capsule that this episode has quickly become. Because if you think back to the beginning of the pandemic, doesn't it feel like it's six years ago? I'm thinking of you guys. Hope everybody's doing well. Talk to you soon. Hopefully it will feel more like a hang and less like you're uh, also working today on a Saturday as if the days have any meaning anymore. But they do. I know. The days do have meaning and they have to have meaning or uh, for, I think, freelancers, people who work or who work from home and are used to doing that, you know, everything can flow together in a way that frankly is maybe not super healthy for any of us. So Yeah, I agree. I, I'm like on dead, a deadline right now. So I've been in that deadline mode where... My days blur together anyways, and so it hasn't felt like a co- the quarantine at all. It's suddenly, yeah. this is like the most normal I felt because it's like, oh, yes, this stress is very familiar. Oh, my gosh. Is that <laughs> something that you, I mean, is yeah, is that something that you, that you bump up against on a semi-regular basis, or have you had enough time between deadlines in general in the last couple of years that this when this rears up, it really is like a very specific and different feeling. I've had it pretty consistently, you know, so I had three books come out um, right after each other. So a book a year from 2017 to last year. And so I consciously gave myself a break. Um, I don't have another book coming out this year, um, which now I realize might be kind of a blessing in disguise. Um, yeah, you know, it just seems like a really hard time to try to get your books out there. Um, and I don't even know. I, I doubt I'm going to have a book out next year because I'm working on one right now, and I don't know um, if I'm going to sell it this year because I'm also pregnant. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. So I'm trying to finish this book and um and a writing project I got hired to do before this baby comes in August, late August. Um, And so we'll see. But yes, it's, I've been on this kind of like constant state of one deadline to the next. Like we, my friends and I, who are also authors, like we just laugh because like when you say I'm on deadline, like that has lost all meaning because we're always on some (laughs) deadline. Um, But it is like concentrated moments of like stress. And then, you know, I know a lot of other authors are different from me. A lot of them don't take long breaks in between because they're already like trying to hustle with their next book or they just really have to be working all the time. They just prefer that. But I sure. love, I love taking like long, two, three months long, month long breaks between um, projects. And I'm happy to not write for two, three months. Like I do not miss it. Sure. Um, so yeah, I've been living in that pattern for a long time. And this I've taken the longest break I ever had because I 
one, I just did it consciously. And then two, you know, I got pregnant. And so it kind of like physically and mentally exhausted me. And then now it's this pandemic. And so it's like, I took a longer break than usual, but now I'm back in it and it feels very familiar and like the most normal thing that's happened since this whole thing has started. Cause I started to feel my life change drastically when I got pregnant, you know? So I was like sure. prepared, prepared for quarantine life a couple of months before everybody else. Cause I'd already started doing that <laughs> voluntarily. Isn't that, isn't that something? I mean, it really is crazy how, how things line up in this very bizarre way. And, and, you know, sometimes it's for the best. Sometimes it's like, are, are you kidding me? They lined up this way and it means X, Y, Z. Yes. Um, is this your first child? It is. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you really are having this like totally new experience in a situation that people even who, you know, who've already had kids, I'm sure are like, wow. So you have to go what what, you know, some version of what I went through, but also this, <laughs> also yeah. a pandemic. You're the first uh, person that I've spoken direct directly to. I have friends who have friends or family who are expecting, but you're the first person that I've had um, that I've been able to talk to uh, within this context. Oh wow, um, I that's crazy to me because I know I know about four other people who are pregnant right now, and I've known like two or three people who've had their babies since this whole thing started in March. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's so funny. Um, yeah, at, at first I didn't know. I thought I was the only pregnant person I knew. And then people, you know, people announce their pregnancies when they feel like it and depending on um, when they're ready. And so it kind of people came out of the woodwork and I was like, oh, my God, you're pregnant, too. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, the, what a what a game changer potentially. Right. To be able to have that sense of community in a, in a, in a totally different way. Yeah, it's really nice. And. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's a very unique experience that has a lot of pros and cons too, but a lot of unexpected um, positive things coming out of it. I think I don't have FOMO because nobody else can hang out and do fun stuff either. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I totally. sorry. That's I, a real thing. <laughs> sorry, but you know, misery loves company. I'm like, yes, none of you guys can go out either. <laughs> Um, and also there's like this, you have a sense of purpose. Cause you know, I think part of the malaise of this whole, everybody in quarantine, people who aren't actually yep. dealing with really hard problems, like, you know, working in a hospital or dealing with sick, sick loved ones, the rest of us are yeah. kind of like in this limbo and there's like a restlessness and like uncertainty. And I have that, but I also have this baby with like an end date you know, and, mm -hmm. it, and it forces me to have to stay healthy and calm and not stress. Yeah. And, you know, I also have like a big thing to prepare for. So I'm like making my registry and um, trying to organize, like my husband's like in a mode where he's fixing everything in our house, you know, things that we've let slide for like 10 years. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. So it is like a weird <laughs> I don't know. It gives me a little bit of peace and purpose. Um, but it also, of course, there's like a whole other slew of uh, anxieties and like um, worries that I would not have if it was just me having to take care of myself. But yeah, yeah. it's a wild time. 
I got to tell you, and this is, I, but I don't know how to say this without, maybe I shouldn't have said anything at all, but now I have to complete my thought. <laughs> um, everything that you said is exactly what I imagined. Like, it's sort of what I hoped and imagined would be the case for people who were expecting. Like, I feel like I had this exact conversation with my sweetie, which was like, you know, I can see, depending on what your temperament is, too, as a person, because we all bring in our own our own baggage uh, and our own strengths and stuff at when something like this happens, that, you know, ideally, there would be a totally different sense of purpose and a sense of thinking beyond what's going on here, like, or, or, or being able to focus smaller in a way that is exactly what you said like super important and significant and not to be ignored and that that would feel um calming like that was sort of that was like the ideal version in my mind was you know rather than being super super anxious and freaked out about it to actually be able to perhaps find some calm in in the pregnancy and stuff so um i'm not trying to say like oh my gosh i'm so smart it's more just like <laughs> oh i'm so relieved like you just assuaged all my fears about like someone I care about who's pregnant being you know what I mean like yeah it's, it's, I mean I, even though again as you said you're still dealing with everything but the positives it's really nice to hear those positives right now yeah I obviously I can only speak for myself maybe other pregnant women are a lot more worried and stressed out than me um you know especially if you're giving birth now it sucks because you can't have your family um you can't have visitors and And I already know from a lot of my friends who are moms that those first few weeks and months are like very isolating, especially if you have postpartum depression and it's really important to see people. So, and not to mention just have like childcare support with, with your parents and, or family or whoever can help you. So I really feel for those people and I don't want to downplay the hardships that may come, <laughs> but oh, sure, for sure. me, and you know, I think it also has to do with the fact that I, I actually have like a anxiety disorder and my anxiety weirdly is at its lowest when I have actual tangible problems in my life. And I right? totally <laughs> get it. Yes. Yeah. When you have like a real thing, then the because my anxiety feeds on all these like what ifs and kind of yep. really far-fetched um, catastrophes, you know, and yep. there's like a real catastrophe happening. I'm, I'm forced to concentrate on that and live in that moment, which is all this stuff that helps me kind of deal with my anxiety. So it is a weirdly uh, less anxious time for me than normal. Um, and yeah, I can, I, I can only yes, speak for yes. myself, but I hope that other pregnant women are feeling a little bit calm like I am because yeah, it has kept me very like even keeled throughout this thing with, you know, moments of like bursting into tears because you're like, oh my God, what's happening? What are we living through? Um, yes. But which I'm doing and I don't have the excuse of being pregnant. So, you know, <laughs> it's all relative. Yeah. I mean, so many times I'm like, is am I being emotional because I'm pregnant or because we're living yeah. through a pandemic? 
Yeah. Who knows? That's very much like that's a little like internal game show that I think we all are playing our version <laughs> of right now. Like it, it is, you know, am I am I PMSing or is it the pandemic? Am I just hungry or is it the pandemic? <laughs> am I, you know, do I miss my family or is it just the pandemic? Most of the time it's probably a combination of both, right? But um but I'm so I love I I I love what you you just said because I think that's something that I think a lot of people can relate to as well this, the anxiety the anxiety coming so often for so many people who have it uh from a place of like <laughs> it seems crazy to say this but I was but I was just talking about this because I was reading through some of my old journals from uh when I was a freshman and sophomore in college and I and that was when my anxiety was at its absolute worst and you know I was certainly overwhelmed I was certainly grappling with big ideas and big thoughts that a 17 and 18 year old didn't know what to do with and you know all of the kind of that good juicy stuff that unfortunately for some of us manifests in something kind of unmanageable mm-hmm. but I but between kind of juxtaposing between those journals and thinking about what the shape of my life was back then and then looking at the last few years of my life when some of the hardest stuff that's been external has been kind of hurled at me mm-hmm. um the difference in how i've responded versus how i would have expected to respond is so wild and i've just said the, such the same thing marine i just was said like i feel like my anxiety came out of a luxury to be anxious and that's I, I'm, not, I'm not proud of that. I don't think of myself as like an entitled person. I grew up without, you know, money or anything like that. But clearly my brain, what we're talking about really is your brain. Like, does your brain have the luxury to go to this place right. <laughs> in some way? Do your brain's chemicals somehow have the ability to sort of flourish in this particular direction? Because I have not, you know, had the reaction that I thought I would. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head again for so many people it doesn't mean that we don't catastrophize in little moments it doesn't mean that we aren't scared or that we don't all go down the road of like will I be one who falls prey to this in one of these you know incredibly tragic surprising ways like all of that stuff kind of enters and leaves but if you had told you know 22 year old me that all of these things were going to happen and then you know that this pandemic would happen or whatever I would have been like I won't survive that yeah I would have been like I won't emotionally survive any of that mm-hmm. and then it happens and your brain is like oh I guess I should get out of the way a little bit <laughs> like even just a little <laughs> yeah you know? I totally 100 percent uh but like I agree with you slash understand like I also had my anxiety was so bad as a young adult. Um, I think it manifested when I was like a little kid, but I didn't, uh, it wasn't that bad. And then it got really bad as I was in high school and college was pretty bad too. Um, And then, I don't know, I always associate my meeting my husband with the time that I kind of started to get a handle on my anxiety. My anxiety actually really uh, manifested when I was younger as like a really bad hypochondria too. So yes, if you mm. had told me, Hey, you know how you like your worst nightmare is cancer. Your mom is going to get it. Um, a pandemic where like a bunch of people are going to get killed and you don't know if you're going to get it. That's going to happen to you when you're pregnant. Like if you had told me <laughs> that, I would have been like, Oh my God, just forget it. Like I, yeah, I'm gonna stop right now. But um, you know, just to make a note, my mother is fine and healthy now. But like, you know, it's just one of those things that you, 
it, it's really shocking how, um, and, you know, shocking in a good way at how you're like, oh, I am equipped to deal with this stuff. And I do think it's just also survival. You're like, I have no choice. Like, I just have to deal with it. Um, But I do think it's not a coincidence that my anxiety has decreased a little with time, but I obviously also went into therapy in my thirties and that is a game changer. So, um, you know, I don't know if it's just age or my therapy or a combination of things or having a stabilizing person in my life, like my husband, who literally is the opposite of an anxious person. (laughs) <laughs> yeah to the point where sometimes I'm I like, feel like I'm Whoa. looking into an or an aural mirror I'm looking through an ear into a mirror into yeah. a mirror do you ever get anxious because they're not anxious you're like why do you not worry about this <laughs> <laughs> okay we're gonna take a break I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at maximum fun hello there ghouls and gals it is I April Wolf. I'm here to take you through the twisty, scary, heart-pounding world of genre cinema on the exhilarating program known as Switchblade Sisters. The concept is simple. I invite a female filmmaker on each week and we discuss their favorite genre film. Listen in closely to hear past guests like the Babadook director, Jennifer Kent, Winter's Bone director, Deborah Granick, and so many others every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Tune in if you dare. (laughs) It's actually a very thought-provoking show that deeply explores the craft and philosophy behind the filmmaking process while also examining film through the lens of the female gaze. So, like, you should listen. Switchblade Sisters. Where are you from? Where were you where were you experiencing this um childhood hypochondria and all that kind of challenging stuff? Um I grew up in LA in a suburb uh in Glendale. So mm-hmm. my parents immigrated here from South Korea like late 70s and then um we my sister and I were born in the US in LA and we lived in various parts of LA, but for most of our lives, we grew up in Glendale. So it's um, a a suburb in Northern LA. And yeah, that's where my parents still live. They live 10 minutes away from me. So we've been doing some driveway visits. Um, (laughs) Yes. And my mom, you know, now that I'm pregnant, it's just like constant food deliveries. Um, I was gonna ask you, all my Korean friends are like, dude, so much food. <laughs> yeah, because that, I mean, it's the, that's how my parents show that they care. Um, I'm sure that's yes. kind of a universal thing with Asian kids. Everybody has varying levels of like relationships with their parents, but you know, mine is not like one hour long phone calls with my mom. Like, we, I don't even know what the heck we'd talk about. It's, she drops off food three times a week for me and and then I send her a photo of me eating the food and it makes her feel good. And then we're like, yes, okay. <laughs> That's great. That's great. You know? Uh, it, yeah. you're, you, and so, yeah. So um, so did you have the, the kind of experience that, um, that again, like you, many of the, the people that I, that I know whose parents are Asian or, you know, or even just that, you know, any first generation Americans that I know are first sort of like living the life from being a baby, whether or not they were born here or not. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do you have the kind of like 
I hate to say if because it does feel like a cliche, but also like as you get older, you sort of go, oh, I get it. Cliches exist because they're that human beings are very similar <laughs> and, and that's OK. Um, but that that you do like because, you know, many of us feel so disconnected from our parents as we go through puberty and many of us don't. But that sort of cliche of, you know, you don't understand me We're I'm I'm so you know, I'm I'm in a different place in my head, in my heart than you were when you were my age. Like when I felt that way and both of my parents are I'm sure our lives were fairly similar in in comparison with someone like you who, you know, whether you feel connected from your parents uh, in in a in a grander way, in a in a more profound way, sometimes as a teenager to have that sense of like, ugh, you don't get it. And then to compound that with no, mom, you really don't get it. Like you were not a teenager here. Yeah. Did you feel that? 100 percent. I mean, it's something that I. It's interesting um, because, you know, I write young adult novels and I write all of my books have Korean American female teen protagonists. So um, my very first book really was so, you know, uh, uh, based on my own teenage years, there's a lot of angst with parents and kind of the cultural divide. It's, it is cliche, but it's real. And I would say that my parents were actually pretty Americanized compared to a lot of my other Korean uh, friends. So I grew up, Glendale is like a very, very diverse um, suburb of LA. It is mostly immigrant kids and immigrant families. Um, yeah. So I love how diverse Glendale is. I, yeah. you know, I live very close to there. So that's sort of, it's like West Hollywood is technically closer if you wanted to go to like a Target or Whole Foods or whatever. And I will pop over to Glendale every oh, time yeah. just because it's it, it's it's a it's just an easier place to get to be and interact with people from my experience. Yeah. Glendale is actually to me like the best place to do all your like big box shopping. <laughs> You're like guaranteed yeah, that's parking right. space and that you just hop on the two or the one thirty four with no traffic. Um, this is a very L.A. conversation. But um, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think it's maybe less diverse now because it's like the like a bigger makeup of certain um, immigrants. Like it's more of mm-hmm. like a Asian Armenian enclave now. But like when I was growing up, it was fairly diverse with like a lot of different um, immigrant families. And I had a lot of Korean friends. So it wasn't um, I didn't have to deal with like the typical like if you watch 80s or 90s stuff where like the Asian kid feels torn between their identities because I mm-hmm. never really had identity issues because I had so many friends that shared my identity. So it wasn't uh, a big angsty factor. The angst was like the communication with my parents, you know, like I think that uh, I was a very good kid. I didn't do, mm-hmm. didn't drink. I didn't do drugs for sure. I didn't date. I got good grades. I worked hard. Um, but my attitude was like kind of bad, you know, in retrospect, I'm always like, Oh my God, Hmm. I was such a little shit, you know? And, um, Uh I'm sorry. Am I allowed to say that on your podcast? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And, you know, I have compassion for teen me too, but, I have a lot of compassion for my parents. Like every day that passes, I'm like, oh my God, they were going through (laughs) 
so much more than I, so like my mom at my age had, you know, um, how old was I? Yeah. She had like a 12 year old. Um, and I'm like, I'm going to have my first baby and I have my life all together and I'm fully financially stable and, you know, like mentally ready for this kid. And my mom was working so hard. Um, I don't know what their marriage was like back then. I'm sure it was being tested all the time. My parents, my mom did all of, you know, kind of the emotional labor of the family. Um, my dad had a really hard job that he had to commute to like at five in the morning and send traffic to Long mm. Beach. And then they have these kids who like just do not understand them nor appreciate yeah. them and instead just complain constantly. Um, me, me way worse than my little sister. You know, I was the one that kind of tested all the boundaries and, oh, sure. and I didn't test like the boundaries of being a bad kid. It was mostly just like emotional frustrations. And, um, so yeah, I had a lot of that. And also, you know, even though I was a really good kid to my parents, I was like kind of bad because of my attitude and the fact that I ever wanted to hang out with my friends, the fact that I left the house to do things. Cause that's just not how they grew up. Like in Korea, especially when they grew up, it's like, you're a student you have no life and then you go to college and then you can start to have a social life. Like it's like laughable to Korean people like that teenagers think that they have like autonomy or a social life. Like it's so not a priority. And so that's where my parents were coming from. And not only that, but they're just like so worn thin by just trying to survive. Um, You know, we, it's not like we grew, I did not grow up wanting for anything, but my parents had to kill themselves working yeah. in order for that to happen. We didn't get, we never went on vacations. Um, I didn't have toys really. <laughs> my husband's always like, wait, mm-hmm. what do you mean you had no toys? I'm like, I, if I had a toy, it was like a hand-me-down or like a Christmas gift from my cousins. Like my parents mm-hmm. did not buy us Christmas presents or birthday presents. Like that's just, I don't even understand that life. Um, they just don't yeah. buy us toys because it's like, why? You can just fend for yourself in the backyard or like read a book, which is <laughs> all, all I ever do is read books. So yeah, it was like, it was very hard. I had very hard teenage years with my mom, specifically. My dad, he had to work in San Diego um, for the whole time I was in high school. So he was gone during the week and came home on the weekends. And, um, mm. and my dad's personality is just way more mellow you know, he was, yeah. he had the privilege, the luxury of not being the bad guy. My mom had to yeah. do like all the, you know, it, it's yeah, just, that's a it, tough dynamic. It, that's a tough dynamic. Yeah. So I always have these loving dads in my books and like the moms are often absent because it's not because I don't appreciate moms. It's because it's a very hard relationship for me to tackle Um, it's so much more complicated than the dad relationship for me personally. And my dad and I always kind of had a very easy communication style of like, no, there was no friction. It was just kind of like, he was very easygoing and therefore I got away with a lot of stuff with him. Um, whereas my mom and I have very similar personalities, like super impatient, short tempered. We're both fighters. We're very confrontational and aggressive. So it was Um, And my sister is not as much as I am. So, you know, it was just me and my mom really butted heads and Mm. it was hard. Um, They, 
they thought that I was always being bad and like I was ungrateful and I'm sure I was those things, but I wish that um, the one thing that would have changed everything was just communication. You know, if I had known what my parents were going through or understood, or if they had explained why this thing made them so angry or it's upsetting, or if I explained to them, like, when you say this, this is like how I feel, um, could have been so much more functional. Um, but the one thing that like, I always knew was like, my parents cared about me, you know, like the reason why my mom got so upset is because she's always paying attention. And I feel like that is like invaluable, um, for your development. Um, because I found that, Oh, I have this weird self-confidence all the time in me that I think is Hmm. the foundation is that I always knew that my parents cared about me, which is like so basic, but I knew a lot of kids who were very neglected, you know, and I was so jealous growing up because I thought, Oh, my parents are so cool. They let them go to raves like all night long and then they can just show up Uh and it'd be like, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, that's sad. Like that your parents were not paying attention um or they're so busy that they couldn't you know um yeah so anyways it's like this deep dive and I am attempting to write a mom book that's my next book um I can't really talk about it because it's not sold or anything but sure I'm really digging into like a mother-daughter relationship and it's it's kind of like oh man it's a deep dive into all of this stuff and also kind of like immigrant moms and what does that mean and um and, you know, now I'm going to be a mom, uh, so it's going to take this whole other. <laughs> well, yeah, that was going to be my question. Was did, was that something that you were embarking upon before you even got pregnant? And th- was that one of those things where it's like, well, this wasn't a plan necessarily, but now I'm looking at it from these kind of different perspectives. Yeah, it wasn't part of the plan. I started writing this book um, last year. I actually finished it. I have a first draft done. I finished it before I got pregnant and then. Now that I'm pregnant, I'm like, oh, okay, it's taking a whole other, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be like one of those experiences where I have certain scenes that I'm running and I'm just like bawling, like, oh, uh, oh God, I'm sure. But I think it'll be, hopefully the book will benefit from that. And, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like, and I'm not going to have a daughter. I'm having a boy. Um, so I'm sure that's a whole different relationship. <laughs> Maybe that's for the best. (laughs) I know. I was, you know, that's what I always thought. Yeah, I always thought I had such a tough relationship with my mom. I always thought, oh God, I I hope you know, if I have kids, I hope I have a boy. I hope I have a boy because I won't. Maybe I won't be as afraid, or maybe I won't impose the kind of you know pressure expectations on um, expecting my daughter to hate me, like I you know (laughs) with a boy. I've thought about that too. I I I did actually want a daughter really badly because. it just seemed like the obvious, like, I know, I know girls, like I understand girls, like, and it'll be so fun to like have that. uh, Maybe I was like thinking about having a relationship that was different from my mom's. Um, But then yes, once I found out. And you would have, and if you have another, yeah, yeah, if you have a girl, you will. Yeah. But then, you know, now that I have a boy, I'm like, oh yeah, I I probably won't be dealing with that level of angst. (laughs) It was a relief. Like, I mean, I don't think I will. I honestly don't think. What do I know? I know. Maybe I I will. will. (laughs) Maybe I'll have a very angsty boy and I'll be like, oh God. But um, yeah, it's, it's the growing up Korean American, that stuff really did. It was a, it was an issue for me. Um, 
and I think I work it out a lot in my books. Um, but I, I also create, so my first book was like that, but then the next two books I had, I very consciously created characters that had good relationships with their dads. And I didn't want to have like a cultural divide thing um, because I kind of feel like, okay, I did that in my first book. And I also feel like it's maybe not that relevant for a lot of teenagers today, you know, Um, Mm. because their parents are now people like me or a little older, one generation above me who grew up here. So it's not very realistic that all of them would be dealing with um, that similar conflict in their lives. Although, yes, there's always going to be conflict between teens and their parents, no matter what, especially in America. When you say uh, when you were talking about being a good student, uh, was that something that you would use as ammunition emotionally, either towards them or even just to like to sit with yourself and sort of feel like I deserve, you know, I I deserve more freedom or, or, you know, they don't even know how bad I could be. You know, was there was there a sense of that? Did you use that to martyr yourself in any way? You know, a little bit. I'd be like, do you even know what other kids do? You're so lucky. You know, and my parents would just laugh because like literally other American kids do not apply to our situation. Like my mom was like, I honestly couldn't give a shit about what so-and-so's mom is. You know, she's (laughs) like, they're not my kid. And also, like, one time I remember I got a B on something, and my mom was like, you know, she was upset by the B, and I told her, oh, my God, it's above average. And my mom, like, lost her mind. She's like, above average? This is what American schools are teaching you that is acceptable. You know, she's like, being above average in America is, like, who cares? Hmm. <laughs> you know, she's like, American students are <laughs> bozos who don't try hard. You know? <laughs> so she's just like, you comparing yourself to these kids, it's like beneath you. Um, and the thing is, mm. like, I wasn't like a top student. I was just like a pretty good student. Like, yeah, you know, I got into UC. I got like pretty, very average SAT scores. Um, I wasn't like an overachiever, but I was just solid. And my parents... So like for me to say, what about like what a good student I am would have been like a joke to them because mm. to them I was just meeting like the baseline requirement for being like a not right. dumb human being, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, they would never be like, oh yeah, she was such a great student. They would just say, oh, she's fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did they, did you have things that you were kind of creatively passionate about when you were in high school that they, you know, knew and, or didn't know about or did or didn't support? I was very passionate about two things, uh, reading books and pop culture. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, they always, like the one thing my parents were always supportive of was my love of reading. You know, we did not, like I said, we didn't have a ton of money and we, my parents never bought me things except books. Like I always had new books. So to this day, like I love libraries, but I don't think about going to them first. I think about buying books because I've always been able Mm. to buy books my whole life. Um, And so I read so much, you know, starting from when I was like seven years old, I became like a huge reader And my parents very much enabled that, you know, they always bought me new books and they didn't police my books. That's the other thing that I really appreciate. They, 
let me read whatever I wanted. Part of it was because I don't think they knew, you know, like they would look at Sweet Valley mm-hmm. High and they'd be like, okay, whatever. They're not going to read it. They're not going to read the jacket copy. They're not going to have an opinion on it. Um, right. But they, they knew that. And, you know, I also loved, um, I worked for the school paper and that was kind of my big identity in high school that, oh, I'm, you know, editor in chief of the school paper. I, I'm a journalist. And part of it is because I didn't know what to do with, liking reading and being able to write. I'd always been Mm. encouraged since I was, you know, like um, in middle school or something uh, to write because that's what my English teachers always, um, you know, they, they saw that I was pretty good at writing and they encouraged me and my parents knew that I was a good writer. And, you know, my mom was a journalist when she was in Korea, she was a radio broadcast host. And so I, put two and two together like oh if I want to be a writer like I should be a journalist that's um, the only job you can have like I I could I had no idea like what else you could do with writing skills so and you know working for the high school newspaper was so fun um, right it was a really fun job I loved everybody I worked with and my mom was my parents were proud of me in that aspect because they they could kind of tell that I was a little above average for you know in that <laughs> in that category like okay you have like a a definitive thing that you're good at. Um, and they always encouraged me, but it wasn't like they didn't encourage me in the way that let's say my husband's parents encouraged him. You know, he grew up in Idaho and, uh, he is a white man and he, his parents grew up here. And so they mm-hmm. were actively involved, you know, like they set him up. He's an artist, uh, and director now, but it would be like, okay, we see that you you're good in art. So they, found a mentor for him in their town, you know, like that kind of encouragement mm. is different yeah. from my, my parents' encouragement of like, okay, you want to study this thing? We'll like, let you, and we'll help pay for college or whatever. And, um, we won't get in your way. Uh, they were never the kind of parents that were like, you have to be a doctor or a lawyer, that kind of thing. My dad especially was really against that sort of pushing your kids to do stuff because I think he, one of the reasons why he likes, America is that it's not so rigid with its educational system. And um, he likes the idea of being able to do whatever you want here. And my dad is a big reader too. So I think he, he liked that. Um, I gravitated toward that. And so they, it was, it was not that hard of a journey for me to pursue writing. Um, The obstacles were kind of myself. (laughs) Right. Um, and, you know, like the circumstances of the world, like I graduated grad school like in 2007 during the recession. And it's just been like a weird meandering uh, path to get to to where I am today. So, yeah. Were you allowed to date? No, I mean, not that I even had the option. Like, honestly, I was like so... Um, what's the word like underdeveloped? No, what's the word when you're yeah. not uh, a late bloomer? I was yeah. a late bloomer for like everything just physically for one, you know, like I swear I didn't get like a real period till I was like 22. Um, mm. So I just not only physically like a late bloomer, but very, uh, I don't know. I I've ranted about this before, but I think there's like this very, one narrative for American romance Hmm. and 
teenagehood and that's like you date you start dating when or you show interest in the opposite sex or oh, the same sex whatever like you show sexual interest uh, preteens and then you date in your teens you have lots of sex in college you date in your <laughs> 20s um you have a nice robust romantic mature romantic life in your 20s and then maybe you settled out in your 30s um right and so funny because once I got older and, you know, my girlfriends and I talk about sex and relationships, I realized a lot of my friends and maybe it's just who I gravitate towards. Like we had such wildly different experiences. Like most of us were super like, uh, you know, we were scared of boys. We just had crushes and we were obsessive in high school. Um, and then none of us dated in college. Maybe some of us, and then some people, date one person like me, I dated one person in my twenties and my husband, he ended up being my husband or people just don't date or don't have sex. They're like, whatever, yeah. you know, like, and I realized, Oh, there's just this wild, wildly varied sexual experience and romantic experience for women in the U S that you don't hear about. Cause a hundred percent, right. There's like this generic version yeah. that's like, Oh, what we're fed in movies and TV. And, I think one, it's totally fine that people have had those experiences, obviously, but it makes people feel bad about themselves, especially young women. Like when I think about when I was in my early twenties and I didn't have a boyfriend yet, I was so like embarrassed. Something's wrong with me. I'm like stunted and it's just different Mm. for everyone. So yeah, I felt I had like crazy crushes in high school where like, if you read the poetry I wrote, it's like, oh my Lord. And you know, like I'm sure, and I was reading romance novels and I loved romance, but I, if a boy liked me, I was like, ew, no. Like it just repulsed (laughs) me. (laughs) I, but yeah, I mean, I get that. I really think that that's, I mean, those things kind of can, can feed off each other too. If you, you know, if the, if you're experiencing this, this, world of romance in fiction and it's not something that you have to bring who you are to you know it's not something that you have to bring like oh he was sitting next to me on the bus and he forgot to put on deodorant and his bo was bad it made me question whether i had a crush on him anymore like all of those just like you're in your own body it's awkward either you you know you are you are developing and that's awkward or you're not developing and that's awkward it's like there's so much messiness um literally but also of course emotionally figuratively more so that if you already feel like you don't know how you fit into all of that in any kind of day-to-day real way and then you also are a you know an imaginative person who has a love of storytelling Mm -hmm. um that those things can kind of be a perpetual loop and that's not necessarily a bad thing you know but just like that's those are such different such different experiences of it's almost like there should just be different words for like oh I had a a high school boyfriend or girlfriend and oh I was reading these sort of epic romances that you know were were written in this very skillful very specific way to make these me feel these certain things and to make me imagine these certain things and um you know there's there's a reason there's a divide there yeah I I love that that you looped this like storytelling into all of it. Um, I do think that maybe it's not a coincidence that a lot of my writer friends and I 
had similar teenage experiences with romance. Like we were all kind of like, a lot of us are um, late bloomers and like, but yet we're deeply romantic and obsessive. So that's why when Twilight came out, you know, I was in my mid twenties or late twenties when I was reading Twilight. And I was like, this is the first, um, I get why people, you know, have their criticisms of Twilight for sure. But I don't think people who don't, who people who don't get Twilight never went through that maybe in high school because mm-hmm. the reason why Edward is, <laughs> it's, you know, that there is no Edward in the world. So it's very safe to um, yes. have him as your, you know, love interest or to obsess over an Edward and wait for your Edward because there's no, person like that in the world especially in your high school like right well, you know it's just like <laughs> you didn't of- go to school with any glittery vampires what's wrong with you <laughs> not only that but none of them were you know um robert pattinson and ray-bans getting out of his volvo uh-huh. so it's like <laughs> so i just feel like there's this thing with teenage girls or even boys maybe but i think it's a, a very specific to girls where like you explore your sexuality in these very safe spaces um and it doesn't mean that you have no interests. It's just kind of like it's different and it hasn't developed into involving human beings yet. <laughs> yeah, totally. Which is scary. Totally. And by the know? way, like, and for what it's worth, I, that is one of the most, one of the most consistent experiences I have had doing this podcast for eight years is just how inconsistent everyone's experience is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just that i i never know and 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 it's pointless to guess with people even that you know you know in the context of what you know them as adults it's like kind of pointless to even guess what their what their experience of romance was in high school and college because so frequently it's the opposite of what you might imagine whether it's you know somebody that you think of as like oh this person's been married to the same person for you know such a long time they got married in their 20s they must have been very chaste in high school or whatever and it's the total opposite or yeah. you know somebody that you think of as like oh you got you know you always play these super sexy characters on television or whatever and they're like oh no 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 like i didn't have boobs till i was 22 and i did not want to be kissed like it's <laughs> it's all you're, you're right it's all over the place and yeah. um, and that's one of the things I love about finding out about people is that is just getting that sense of like oh my gosh we're all so different and yet we understand each other in ways sometimes that we expect and sometimes ways that we are totally surprised by yeah and it what's is it, really wild is that when you write YA novels as an adult woman who has this view of teenage romance, right? Which is like, I had zero experience. I write teenage romances and it's kind of, I remember I was very torn about it in the beginning because my first book barely had romance. It was very realistic to my high school life where I just had this like crush on someone and my friend liked me, but I didn't like him. You know, like that's like a very realistic scenario to me. But then my, almost all of my books have been romantic after. And then my last book was just like a pure one day romance. And I, I remember thinking like, do I want to write this? Like, do I even believe in this romance? And I, that's kind of not what I'm doing. I don't think it's my job to write uh, a mirror that is um, reality because teenagers yeah. don't really, that's not why you're reading a romance. You don't pick up a teenage romance because you're like, this is realistic. You pick it up because you're like, this is like the heightened 
um, fantasy version of what being a teenager is like. And I, I try to make it emotionally, my work emotionally accurate and authentic, mm-hmm. you know, but like, as far as like, we want it to be, I want my books to be fun. Um, yeah. feel honest and fun and like fun read like everyone's books are different like some YA novels are way more serious and dig into deeper things and are um more realistic and I feel like they do that really well that's just like not my forte so I kind of like gave in like oh when I write these romances it's like the romance novels I read there's like no historical duke in England ever looked that hot um you know <laughs> I mean like give yeah. me a duke who could like box and like for some reason had a hairless chest and was like six feet you know six three I doubt it like they're like all inbred you know um so (laughs) so it's you know I just realized I'm just creating like kind of a fantasy and um but I hope that you can still relate to it and so yeah like I I do enjoy writing these teenage romances because I tap into like what really nourished me because they did, they did nourish me romantically. Like I didn't really need a romance. And if I felt like I needed it, I just like read a book. Um, and yeah. it was very, it was like kind of a wistful thing. Like, will I ever have this? Um, right. You know, it just feels so far from your life when you're like a gawky 15 year old with but, braces. But isn't it fun to feel wistful? Like wistful is when I really look back on that time, I loved feeling wistful. Do you know? Yeah. I loved getting lost Daydreams. in the sense Ugh. of like, I don't know. I just hope one day or, you know, uh, the, those those feelings were somehow, whether or not, you know, I'm not a, a psychologist, a child psychologist, nothing. But somehow that feeling was so integral and so just intrinsic to my development as a young person that, you know, I wouldn't trade any of that. Even the times when I felt really sad and felt really misunderstood or, you know, did feel a sense of like wistful hopelessness. um, I I, I needed it somehow. Somehow I needed that, you know? Yeah, I think it's all part of, you know, the challenge, like the challenges that you have to go through to develop fully. But I also think like for creative people, it was important to us like to have like a rich um, inner world and daydreams. Like I remember what sustained me so much when I was stressed or sad or tired or like trying to sleep because part of my anxiety was I had massive insomnia issues growing up and it would be like, okay, I'm just going to like have this romantic scenario, my daydream. What if JC Chazé from NSYNC and I met at a mm-hmm. picnic? Like it was just such a detailed like um, daydream and then I would fall asleep to it. It was you like need so, to give your brain something to do. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, it's it's it. That is a form of meditation. That what you were doing was a form of meditation. It was a form was. of building blocks to take you to a place in which your body could calm down, and that is so important. And the ways that we all, you know, especially if we're young people and we're not getting that guidance, but that anxiety is there, which as you know, I relate to finding those ways to to self soothe mm-hmm. or to medicate mm-hmm. in ways that you know, in a perfect world, are not getting drunk or you know taking drugs and making decisions that like you know you can't take back um that you know that's huge yeah it's so true it's like a mindfulness exercise it's like focus on one thing (laughs) i love i want you to do yeah (laughs) oh oh it's time for a quick break 
I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Hey, I'm Mallory O'Mara, a weird fiction reader who enjoys whiskey and owns a book weight. And I'm Bria Grant, a science fiction reader who likes iced tea and reads to escape the world. And we host Reading Glasses, a weekly show that dives into reading suggestions, goals, complaints, and the really important questions like, what are the best reading snacks? And seriously, Mallory, what is a book wait for? Every week, we talk about reading. It's not a book club. You're not going to have to listen to us review a book you haven't read. You just have to be excited about books, authors, the bookish community, writing, and talking about reading. We can literally talk about reading, like, all day long. Reading Glasses. Every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Glasses. (laughs) I thought about doing that. I got to get into this MASH game with you. Uh, let's play a game of MASH. Oh, yes. Want to? Did sure. you ever play MASH oh, yeah. when you were uh, going through all these, oh, my God, all the these time. phases of uh, obsession? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, so the first one I want to start out with, unsurprisingly probably, uh, is uh, three books from that era in your life that you can jump into and just get all of those feelings like that you that you got from those books, but knowing like you can go all the way in and whether or not you're you or you're, you know, somebody else, just what world would you want to jump into of those books? Oh, okay. The books from when I was a teenager. I think for this category, I'm going to I'm going to lean into you being a teen. I'm not going to stick you in teenage life sure. uh, and desires for the entire MASH game, but I got to know. <laughs> I'm looking at my bookshelf. It's it's interesting because I think when I was a teen, I was actually reading a lot of, <laughs> I read like a lot of John Grisham and then like the required sure. required reading. Um, and there was no YA category back then. So I didn't really read those books. Um, okay. But I would say like I read over and over again, <laughs> I read Gone with the Wind. Great. You know, That's problematic good. fave. Um, I also <laughs> loved, um, Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. I read Michael Crichton over oh and over, just it like you said, like, so... I don't know, like, why did I need to read Sphere three times? I don't know. <laughs> like, I do not know. It's not oh somehow that was really, is really something I kept coming back to. A, a lot of my friends and I, we talk about our weird Michael Crichton faces. Um, and then you know, the a book that I always go back to, like, since I was a kid, teenagers, an adult, is uh, Little Women. Yes, great. This is good. You really have, like, a nice cross-section of, like, weird classics uh, <laughs> that all are very, very different one from the other. Um, and each have, like, a very special place in history. <laughs> um, okay, great. Uh, next category, let's do... Let's do three. Uh, let's get into our foods. Got to get into our foods. Uh, three foods that um, either for in this reality are, you know, you feel sort of are ecologically bad decision or calorically or you're allergic um, or it's something that you've only, you know, you've had a couple of times, but it's not something you can get all the time. Uh, we're going to create this alternate universe in which everything is accessible. Nothing is bad for anyone, including you. And you can have as much as you want with zero consequences. Three things. Okay. So three things. Three foods in that category. All right. Oh my gosh. Um, Captain Crunch cereal. Oh my gosh. Ugh. What a wonderful <sighs> choice. I have that all the time now as a pregnant woman in my home oh, as like great. an emergency 
food. Um, when I, I think about f- cereals, especially like cereals and candy for sure, but even things that I don't have as much anymore, I can, I can, I, my experience of remembering the taste, for example, of berry berry kicks oh. is so strong. Like I can just, t- I know what they taste like dry. I know what they taste like partially <laughs> milked. I know what they taste like soggy. And I know what the milk tastes like after you've eaten all the cereal. <laughs> like it's all in there in such a visceral way. I know. And it's just like the quickest way to, um, go back to that place or just like be comforted. Yes. So yeah, Captain yes. Crunch. The other is just Great. straight up ramen, like packaged ramen at home. Yes, indeed. It's my favorite. I always love it. Um, I feel like you can make it delicious too if you want. Um, add an egg, mm-hmm. egg, scallions, veggies, what have you. Um, Heck yeah. And I mean, pizza. Like I literally, if someone says yeah. pizza or shows a photo of pizza like on my social media i'm like i cannot rest until i have pizza <laughs> this know. is not a pregnant it's woman true. thing it's this is so re- like forever no, understood <laughs> understood i feel like that too i feel like pizza is unfair to other food groups when you like pizza is a food group first of all i just reveal that and <laughs> thought um but like if someone's like do you want sushi like and i love sushi but it's tough man if somebody if someone includes pizza yes as an option my, it's like it's like the world slows down for a second and pizza gets said and it gives it gets more weight and time and then everything goes back to the normal pace <laughs> and you're like hmm, why can i not stop thinking about pizza now oh, interesting like for me pizza i want to eat it any time of day like i will eat a cold slice in the morning oh yeah if i have leftovers yeah I will definitely eat it for lunch or dinner. And then you can eat it in the middle of the night. I don't know. It's just perfect. And I think it's like the most How many things can you say that about about me? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's great. And I don't like Uh, fancy pizza. I like like just a greasy pepperoni and cheese slice. That's it. There you go. There you go. So I, yeah, I th- I can't I I I've never wanted a fully loaded pizza. That's just not been. I'm like, but I won't taste the cheese and the bread anymore, and that's what I signed up for. <laughs> I know. I want to taste like the bread sauce and like the cheese. You know, I I get so mad when like people put like arugula, fresh arugula on a pizza. I'm like, ah. Oh no, you. I'm oh sure no, it's... I would make you angry because I do like arugula. <laughs> I feel, but somehow Good. my excuses. I feel it brings out the cheesy grease. I think it's. Um, com- I've enhanced it. Obviously. I don't feel like I'm making it healthy that's for sure <laughs> oh I, I i like it like i'm like this is good but like then you put next to me like a domino's slice and i'm like i'll yeah. have that though <laughs> i feel you i feel you my arugula is basically my version of you putting an egg in your ramen it's like give me mm, the okay. total low grit like give me like the low rent uh okay yes but I- then let me like do a little bit of slight dressing up <laughs> enhancement enhancement um okay great uh, next category, let's do three places in the world that whether you've been there or not, you would like to have a getaway home. And that doesn't mean you have to be sitting on a beach. Getaway for you could be like bustling Paris or whatever. Mm-hmm. I have been having and I've never been there and it's been on my list and I'm just like, I got to go after this pandemic and maybe when my baby is old enough enough to stay home alone i just really want to go to some like italian island where the buildings are all stacked up on a hillside and the water is blue that's one getaway that's like the obvious like instagram influencer getaway but it's like i feel feel it deep in my bones right now where i'm like i wish i was there um i agree 
the other, oh gosh. Well, it, this is like a, not that glamorous, but it really is like one of my favorite places is um, where my husband's from in Idaho. Uh, we really, we have dreams one day of getting, um, making a little cabin up in the Teton Valley over there, which is so beautiful. I feel like when I'm in- it is. So Isn't beautiful. it beautiful? When I'm in the mountain, I love that side. Ugh. I love the people don't know. I mean, you know, it's it's fine and good that people don't yes. know, but that side of the Tetons is. So my dad uh, had a girlfriend for many, many, many years who um who had a cabin up there, and uh, what a slice of heaven! It's, it's wonderful. Ugh, it's beautiful. Like I I love the Mountain West. You know, I didn't appreciate it until yeah. I met my husband, and then through his eyes, I saw what you know where he grew up and. Um, I love the Mountain West because it's like arid because I hate humidity because yep. I hate bugs. Yep. You're speaking my language. <laughs> I, and I like, I don't, I think it's so beautiful when it snows. It's, um, yeah. it feels so big and kind of like the last of the untouched part of America, the West. Absolutely. So it, it gives me Absolutely. Rom- romantic I, America yeah. feelings, which are, you know, yep. it's like rare for me to have lately with country being the way it is but like when I go yes. there I'm like oh I feel I get why people love America um so yes I would love to have like a little Idaho getaway um and yes I, the beach in Italy and hmm, hmm, I am also like a city girl so and I love Paris it's so cliche but when I have been to Paris a couple of times I've been lucky enough to go I'm like yes I get it and yep. I would love to just have a croissant, step out of my Parisian apartment and be on a bustling market street, grab a croissant every day of my life. Cause every croissant, (laughs) every croissant in Paris is delicious. Um, It really is. It's so gross. You get, you can get off the plane at Charles de Gaulle and like walk over to the saddest looking kiosk and get a croissant. And you're like, Oh, this is better than anything I've had in America. What is happening? I know. I can't even imagine being French and having to get one here um, in the U S and, I'm sure in LA we have better better ones than others, but whew, yeah, I I do. I would love to have an apartment in Paris. That would be like my city city getaway. I'll tell you what, I will I will be your neighbor in any one of these three. This is yes. like very much a list that I can uh, get on board in, uh, for in a huge way. It's a it's exactly yeah. Yeah, we can uh, do look, our talent our talented Mr. Ripley summer vacation oh, and like my God. our <laughs> our like Creekside. Um, porch hangout in Idaho. Oh my God. Where we're just, where we're like, what do you guys do? And we're like, oh, we just sat and watched for moose for like yes. three and a half hours. <laughs> and then we went and lit a fire and drank some cocoa. Yes. <laughs> and oh, read a book. I love it. That sounds so good right now. And then we'd go um, shopping okay. on a, and we'd like to go shopping in Paris and then that'd be great. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, that's a, such a special city. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Okay, so uh, wonderful. Next category. Let us do uh, three. Let's do three characters from either something you've written or something you've read um, or even like a television or, or, or character in film. Just basically fictional characters, three fictional characters that we would that we're going to pull out of fiction for you and you can have as a chum. Mm, okay. Well, I have been rewatching for like the 15th time 
to call myself the West Wing. (laughs) It's such a calmer. It's like one of my favorite shows. Such a calmer. Everybody's competent. (laughs) The credits make me cry. Like when I start watching, I'm like, I really needed this right now. I know. It's one of the credits where I don't automatically skip. You know, when I'm binge watching, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. No, if you need, if you're doing it for comfort, that theme song, which I later I found out that jo- Josh Molina hates, and I hate him for hating it, even though I love Josh, um, <laughs> is like, it really is. Okay. It's like, oh, my it. song. Uh, he's just being contrarian. My special relaxing song, I'm safe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he is such a contrarian. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. He'd probably love it if he knew everyone else hated it. Um, I so let me think. Who in the Bartlett administration would I want as a chum? I gotta tell you, I, I, this. I almost that is such a great answer. I almost want to say three characters from the West Wing. Oh, should is I that just so do that? Cruel to you? No, it's not. I kind of want to hear what you're gonna oh say because I don't want you to have to pick just one. <laughs> okay, okay. For sure, if I got to pick three, then immediately CJ Craig. Yes. I also. Love Josh Lightman for all of his irritations. Wonderful. He is the best and the worst. Um, I mean, I love Toby, but they did him dirty the last season. <laughs> they did. And really still not recovered from that. Um, and I also love Charlie and obviously yeah. Leo. Oh yeah, but I, don't know I love if... Donna too. Donna, I know Donna, Donna to me was so she's so she's so real. Like she feels so real to me. Yes, she's that very realistic. I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're just like I, Donna. I know you, and I know just what, how you're going to react to this. But I got you, girl. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I know she's great. Like, and I love that they um, gave great. her a little yes. more. Yeah. Um, in the later seasons. Okay. Okay. <sighs> if I just hang out with these people, though, you know. Like yeah, no, no I no, love sure. Bartlett. I want him to be my leader, but he would like lecture me on historical facts. And he I would lecture you all the time. I don't want that in my life. And Leo would be cranky yep. and kind of like no nonsense, and I would need someone a little yep. softer. Yep. Um, I love Sam Seaborn. Yeah. Okay, I think those that like they're obvious, but those three are like the characters I get along with. You know what, Donna? Yep. You're right. I would Donna would be best. She'd be like my only real like. We could get like have rosé together. <laughs> That's true. Do you want to do uh, Donna instead of Sam, or do, do yeah. you want to Donna, swap somebody else? Donna, oh, yeah. Josh, okay. and CJ. Beautiful. Okay, that was a very satisfying category for me. <laughs> um, very satisfying indeed. Okay, uh, next category. Let's do three superpowers that you can have. Rest assured, they're not just on all the time. So like if you pick telepathy, you don't have to just listen to someone droning on about something to themselves in their own head. Like you can sort of turn on and off your superpowers. Okay. Three. Um, I would not choose telepathy because that would make me so anxious because I would hear people talking me too. shit about me all the time. I would never in a million years <laughs> pick it. <laughs> I, I don't want to know what you think about me all the time. I would time. be like, oh, God, I can know if I want to know, but I don't want to know. But I could know. Oh, I could know. I I also think there's some value to lying and like not knowing what, pe- you know, like... Uh, we don't have to know the truth people, all the time. We need to be a little buffered. Also, 100% yes. And also people 
there's a reason that we have our thoughts and a lot of the time we think 8 million shitty things before we get to the truth or we lie to ourselves about how we really feel about something. And if you're if it's just telepathy, if someone's like, "Ugh, I hate Janet right now." Like in my mind, I'm going to walk away with that as a pure hatred rather than the person who's like, actually, I was in a bad mood and she looked really cute that day and I didn't. I felt even though I was wrong. And so, you know what I mean? Like there's so much nuance to every thought any person has at any given time. The idea of having to sift through that and hear something and not have that context and not want all that context. No, thank you. Yeah, that's. I think it's like torturous. It's for our own self-preservation that we shouldn't hear each other's thoughts. Um. Okay, so one would be I want super strength because I really, as a being a woman that's like pretty like fragile looking, I guess, I would love to be able to know that I can always protect myself and other people, yep. like literally. Love it. Um, yep. I would also like to be able to heal people. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. It makes me just sound like a do-gooder, but like it's true. Like if I could heal people, like and myself that's amazing yeah um let me think i would also like to uh teleport to wherever i need to go yes indeed yeah yes indeed wonderful okay great all right listen all due respect to your wonderful husband and the father of your child (laughs) this is mash We are going to need some alternate universe love affairs. Yes. It can be anyone from any time, real or fiction, cartoon or flesh. It does not <laughs> matter at all to me. Uh, okay. Three. Um, I was born for this question. Um, <laughs> my husband knows. I'm like, these are my boyfriends. You're my husband. Um, Great. Number one is Taika Waititi. I love him. God. Have you ever met him? No, and I Darn. I uh, I don't and I hate I, no, I, listen girl. It is a painful one when you start to have that many people in common and you still haven't met one someone yes. that you love and you know and you know they're great because I now fully know he's as great as you hope he is. Yep. And then I went and saw him uh talk after Jojo <gasps> Rabbit. Me too. At I was at that screening. Yes. Oh my God! Were you like stop being the most wonderful, like silly, great, humble person oh, in the world? Yes. And then afterwards, oh. I was like, I'm not gonna lower myself to like scramble to meet him because yep. if I meet him, it shall be in a civilized environment. And then so I yes. I went out into the lobby, and then he came out into the lobby at the <gasps> same time. So oh, I stood oh. next to him while we walked down out. Inside the theater, I was literally next to him and I was trying to say hi to him because I'm like, I gotta just say hi. And, ju- you know, he's so right. nice, he wouldn't care. Yes. But then, literally, these men kept barging in, being like, I'm also a filmmaker and like blabbing to him. Oh, and God. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you are preventing me from meeting yeah. my second husband. Um, so <laughs> I was so physically close, but I was like, again, like, you yeah. know what? One day we're gonna meet and it'll be more special than this. And then I found out like my friend is working on her, his the new Thor movie, and I'm oh I, yes. I was just like oh god yes. okay so one day the stars shall align so yes Taika that's right the circles are closing for both of us yeah and yeah we'll it's we'll all, have our day all, and you knew you listen you knew you could have you could have elbowed in but you knew it would it feels better when you can when it can't happen for all of us all the time but when you can meet someone on a little more of even turf yes. and it really is like here hey i want you to meet a friend of mine um 
you know, that's that's just always going to feel this is going to feel. Yeah, better. I mean, um, the my biggest like life highlight involving Taika, other than standing next to him in the lobby, was I I ordered that little pineapple jumpsuit outfit he has, and <laughs> two years ago, and I got it tailored to fit me, and then I took photos oh. on my thirty seventh birthday, uh, and I tweeted it, you know, like. This is my Taika cosplay that was a gift to myself for my birthday. He didn't like it at the time. But then one year later, I tweeted well, it again. I was like, just to remind everyone, this is the one-year anniversary of when I did a cosplay of Taika for my birthday. And then he liked it. Oh, <laughs> oh he came back around. <laughs> I'm like, See? Look, if you, look intern, on, on you the, yeah. <laughs> on the first day, on the first time, if you'd had telepathy and he'd been like, I didn't like that today. You'd be like, oh, no. And then little did you know that it would be uh, a year later that he would be like, now I realize I was just in a bad mood. <laughs> oh, my God. I love your, um, your amazing. Um, accent. So good. <laughs> when I went to New Zealand for the first time last year, I was like, everybody here sounds like Taika Waititi, and I love it. I know. Um, I know. But, yeah, so he's my number one because I admire him Beautiful. as a creator. Like, his movies are so funny uh i think he's a beautiful human and he's also like very hunky yes yes to all good luck second and third choice i don't know what you're gonna come <laughs> up with but i can't wait to find out okay wait all right all right gosh okay taika is my number one and he has been for quite a while so i'm kind of like who used to be on this list who do i every time i see him i'm like yes <laughs> I love it. You're like, I was born for this question. Oh, and now you're like, hmm, okay, now I have to think past Taika. <laughs> for sure. Um, I mean, this is especially now more than ever, Barack Obama. Great. If I ever met Barack Obama, he is the one person that if I met them in real life, like I don't want to talk to him. I, yeah. Because I'm like, I don't even know how I would react. Yeah. And I don't ever want to ruin <laughs> My I know, fantasy I know. of Barack Obama. I just I get it. want him to exist in this like special place. I find him incredibly attractive, but also just like yeah. such a comfort. Yeah. And I'm so like proud that he was our president. Yeah. God, it seems like a really long time ago. I know. Uh, oh, boy. Okay. Maybe I can put a silly one in there. Um, yeah, put a silly one in there. This is not forever. This is for how you're feeling today in this moment. I went through an obsessive phase. When, so my husband was living in China for a couple of years working on this movie. And um, I glommed on to Supernatural. So I had never watched that show before. And to me, I felt like, what is this silly show? My friend, who is a very smart and wonderful author was obsessed with Supernatural. And she kind of brought it up every once in a while. And I'm like, okay, maybe this is the time that I watch Supernatural because I'm living alone. I want to just like right. have something. I watched 14 seasons of Supernatural in six months. Each, each season has 20 some episodes. Oh my God. I feel like I'm looking into my future because I too have been told by so many people I respect, like, just watch it, you idiot. It and is... I'm always like, I don't think so. I, know. I just I was don't like, know. But I know it's coming. I know I it's coming. I couldn't be convinced. You know, I was like, eh, like, I don't, 
I'm not that geeky, you know, like I have geeky parts of myself, but I'm not like a full fangirl of stuff. But I started playing it. Like it's one of those shows that I'm like, you don't have to pay full attention to. Like, and I don't, I don't say that as an insult. It's like kind of soothing to have in the background. And there's a lot of like monster of the week. And so like, if you miss, it's kind of, and it's also basically a soap opera with monsters. So, you know, you're kind of following the same storylines forever. And I got obsessed with the actor who plays Castiel, Misha Collins. Um, I love him. He is like such a soft, wonderful soul. He is like this dorky dad in real life that literally all he does is like charitable shit for people all the time. He has like these children that are like wild and they live this like rough and tumble, like wild life with his like really nice smart wife and yeah. I just find him to be like such a wonderful man but like okay in real life he's just like a wonderful man right but on the right. show he <laughs> is an angel and I did not realize that I liked <laughs> angels and then I was watching that show and I'm like I think I have a thing for angels and I thought back to my <laughs> things that I've like consumed and I'm like yes I like angel stuff and my friends are like making fun of me like you have an angel kink I'm like no it's not a kink oh very interesting so it really was it was like oh this is reflecting something deeper than I even realized yes I'm like I like so funny I like protective powerful beings um that are like fallen um so yes his character I got really obsessed with Amazing. And um, I went through Amazing. like a Misha Collins phase and it was kind of like okay. weird and random, but I still <laughs> have a soft spot for him. We got to throw him in here. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay. He's in there. Okay. Uh, next category, let's do three everyday skills that maybe you, uh, you know, you haven't mastered or is just not, is not something that you consider yourself like, oh, I'm a handy person or whatever. Uh, three skills that we're going to potentially give you to wake up with tomorrow. Uh, you've sort of downloaded everything and become a, a, an expert. I wish that I, I am like a aspiring amateur wannabe um, plant person. What's the word (laughs) even? A horticulturalist maybe? I love love trees. I love plants. I have very strong feelings about trees in Los Angeles. Uh, Oh my gosh, I'll have to send you my... my, uh... I'm so bad. I keep just wanting to say my husband, but we are for sure not married. Uh, but we <laughs> might as well be. Um, he is a journalist and he wrote a wonderful story for Los Angeles Magazine about Los Angeles's trees. <gasps> yeah, I would love to read that. I have. To. Yeah. It's like a growing passion of mine, um, but I'm not fully, you know, like I can identify almost every tree in LA, but I really, my goal is to be like an expert on trees. And oh, you're native, listen, native I'm plants. so excited to send you this. Yeah. Ooh, I'm so excited okay. to send you this. You're going to be like, oh, okay, great. I, this is exactly what I needed to read Saturday afternoon. Amazing. Um, beautiful. Okay, so that's uh, okay great. Horticulture. Yep. Great. <laughs> Two, I wish I could, um, I wish I was handy. Like, like I could just fix things. So yep. uh, my husband is so handy. Like he's very, he'll look at something. And he's like, oh, okay, he can figure it out. And um, 
I just hate that, like, oh, my husband's a handy one. You know, like, it just feels so gendered. So I wish that I could also just look at something and figure it out. Um, That's just not how my brain works, unfortunately. I hear you. But when he was gone, I learned how to do all sorts of shit because I was forced to. And it was so empowering. Like, I learned how to fix the toilet. Um, I learned how to fix it. Same, same. Yes, right? The drip system in my backyard. I was like, whoa. This always seemed like this like thing that only Chris could handle, right. and I'm like, oh, I got this. Unfortunately, yeah, a yes, very empowering, and and I I encourage everyone to have that experience, male or female, if you feel like you can't do that stuff, mm-hmm. if you can start with something easy. Um, the only thing is, I definitely have like. I've I've gotten I've flown too high to the sun after I fixed a couple of <laughs> rudimentary things and been like I'm pretty sure I can figure this out too and then been like oh no 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 Mm-mm. no I no I do not know how to do this what was Baby it steps. what did you what was Baby the steps. sun <laughs> it was <laughs> It was the difference between like when a toilet just uh, when it's like a really mm -hmm. basic like, okay, it's the thing in the tank, you know, it's the stopper or the plunger or whatever versus like, no, this is like, you know, this is something that that has less to do with like just the way the handle connects to when the water gets linen, the water pressure coming in and out. It was like, oh, I'm sure if I just tinker with, oh, oh, the water's still coming out. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Gonna need to turn the entire water system off to keep this from being a very big problem. I mean, that's just you hit the limit because sometimes people just have to I be an limit. expert, you know, and it's okay. We can't yeah. be an expert, but that's yeah, right. being able that's to right. like figure out basic things like, yeah, the other day too, during this pandemic, I realized, you know, like you, you end up doing things, spending a lot of time on shit that you would be like, I don't have time for this. Like, or I'll just take it to somebody to fix it. Like, so my right. little Dyson handheld vacuum was making weird sounds. And I just like trouble. I sat at my dining room table at midnight. My husband was working in silence too. That's the funny thing. Like usually I need a podcast or two. I'm like, no, I'm going to do this in silence. Like at midnight. This is very impressive to me right now. I took apart my vacuum. (laughs) And like, I also get this stubborn streak of like, figure it out. I don't want to YouTube it. So I like sat there and spent one hour taking apart my, and I fixed it. It was something dumb, you know, nothing complicated. Awesome. But I, I felt awesome, so proud though. of myself. As you should. And I, I do think that uh, women in particular were just not taught to hone that skill or practice it, you know, growing Correct. up. It's like, Correct. oh, that's like your dad can fix it or like have like a boy fix it. And so yeah, um, I agree. It is something I'm learning to do. Okay. So sorry. That's my long answer for number the second one. No, and no. That's a great answer. The third one is I wish I was, I think I have a little knack for it. But I wish I had a full gift for learning new languages. Great. Yeah. Fabulous. Fabulous. Like I wish okay. I I wish I could be like a spy, like international spy and speak like five different, ten different languages. I know. Oh, it's <laughs> so satisfying. So satisfying. Because all the stuff that comes along with that too, right? Like yes. understanding the nuances Ugh. of culture that can only be truly digested through a culture's language is so fascinating and wonderful to me. Yeah. Um, so 100% agree. Uh, okay. Uh, last category, 
let's do well I've really been on this kick lately because we've all been spending so much time at home so I'm going to do this this is a sort of like Harry Potter room of requirement type of a category where there your house is exactly the way it is right now but there's a magical door that doesn't extend any of the actual square footage but when you open the door uh, size is not an issue three rooms that it would be amazing to have uh, as part of your existing structure that magically can kind of appear Ooh, okay. I already know two of them right off the bat. One would be right. like a Beauty and the Beast library. Amazing. <laughs> Floor to ceiling, books, fancy ladders, ver- windows, cozy nooks, every book yep. that I would want to read in there. Wonderful. Okay. Second would be a giant, glorious Hearst style indoor pool. Right. I-, I love swimming. It's like my, uh, I feel so calm and at peace when I'm in a body of water. And I think being like an LA kid, I just love swimming pools. I just have such like good associations with that, with the chlorine. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously I want an outdoor pool too, but I love the idea of an indoor pool. That's beautiful and covered with like marble tile. So beautiful. Okay. And then the third, gosh, I think it would be like a greenhouse. Um, like a beautiful, like, uh, Victoria, basically I want to live in like the beast castle, I guess, you know, like, (laughs) like, yeah, really like like the conservatory of flowers and Golden Gate Park. Have you been up there? We're only like British people would hang out, you know, it's just like beautiful Cucumber sandwiches. Yes. Yeah. Um, fountains. (laughs) And so you can always have nature, um, with, you know, these are all yeah all three of these are so different in in from one another but they're all so calming they all are so soothing to me just the 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 vibe of each of these three rooms are are like very 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 i I want my home to feel calm not like exciting yes (laughs) yes i get it i get it okay my dear uh uh, i will do my little squiggle uh so just in a couple of moments tell me when to stop okay stop Okay. I am going to do some uh, quick work. Uh, Do you mind giving some of your book titles and telling people uh, where they can get them and what they should know about you and where to follow you and stuff? Oh, sure. I would be happy to. Um, So you can find my books everywhere books are sold. Um, I have four books out. Since you asked, I believe in a thing called love, the way you make me feel, and my latest, Somewhere Only We Know, which just came out in paperback last week. Um, the last three books are also available as audiobooks. Um, and you can find me online on Twitter and Instagram the most. And both of my handles are at Maureen Goo, M A U R E N E G O O. And I also have a website uh, that has links to everything too, uh, MaureenGoo.com. Beautiful. Okay. I am done. Uh, Boy, God, this was tough for me. This is like emotionally painful to cross anything off because it was such a (laughs) me list in so many ways that I was like, I felt I was personally losing someone each time something happened, even though you were still going to get things that you like. Uh, So first of all, I want to congratulate you. Well, you know what? I know I get a rip off this. I got to rip off this Band-Aid first and it's not even a Band-Aid. You're going to be super like fine with it. Okay. But uh, 
I w- I really strongly was rooting for Taika. Mm. You did end up with Misha. Okay, that's fine. But like, it sounds like he is is like kind of wonderful. So um, I know we got there partner. last, but mm-hmm. yeah. So you've got you've got the wonderfulness of Misha. Um, also in the sort of like like you mentioned that it's like a little more of a complicated relationship to it situation within this game. You can go into Gone with the Wind <laughs> whenever you want. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. What a scene. What a scene. Um, I feel certain that you are going to want to uh, talk about all of that, talk about the nuance of that, uh, maybe laugh about it a little bit with some sarcastic barbs with your buddy Josh from the West Wing. Josh <gasps> nice. Lyons. Okay. Really good get on that one. I This is going to happen over endless pizza mm, because you yes. can have all the pizza you want forever with no issues. You, uh, by the way, have a beautiful house in the city of Paris, France. Uh, amazing. To which you can teleport Ooh. whenever you want. I feel so like teleporting that's huge. And yeah, handy right now. We can't really travel. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. oh yes, indeed. Yeah, you can teleport anywhere you want, and that's huge. Um, you also have a beautiful greenhouse cucumber sandwich style in uh, <laughs> in your, your existing home. And since you're going to be doing all of this teleporting all over the place, it's very handy that you can pick up any new language like that. Oh, and amazing. And just like get around and navigate and, you know, you're going to be great and, and having all these wild and wonderful adventures. I love um, it. So that is your MASH future. Very well done, if I do say so myself. You made some wonderful choices. Uh, and I want to thank you so much for doing the podcast. I've kept you on for such a long time, and it was so fun, it was so fun getting a chance to get to know you uh, under these circumstances. I hope that we get to hang out when um, things are a little uh, different and you have had a chance to uh, be a mom for a minute. Oh, and weird. <laughs> see what all that looks like. I know. <laughs> I'm always joking, like, hey, when we come out of this pandemic, I'm gonna have like a five year old child. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Hopefully Just before like that. then. But yes, thank you so much Hopefully for having me. Then. This was great. This yes, was so fun. Yes. Oh, what a pleasure. Um, okay, wonderful. Maureen, thank you again. And everybody else, I will talk to you next time on the podcast. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.